Welcome to Godsplaining, contemplative preacher's contemporary age. Each week, join the Dominican friars as they consider all things Catholic. Hello and welcome back to Godsplaining. I'm Father Gregory Pine, joining you from Freiburg, Switzerland. It's not Freebird, it's Freiburg, um, which is a mistake often made by those with whom I am speaking. As you might imagine, not in the Swiss context, but never mind. Uh, Father Jacob Bertrand, you are in a more easily pronounceable city. How are things there? Fine. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they're great. Uh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's great. I've never... Do people actually call Freeburg Freebird? Um, no, uh, they don't. I just thought it was funny. Although, um, a couple of times, you know, because I went to Steubenville, um, people would like sometimes be like, huh, huh, is that Stupidville? And I'd be like, oh, man, <laughs> savage. Um, you realize that by saying that, you, never mind, the irony is just too rich. Or it's like um, my mother, you know, is from New Jersey. And, um, you know, whenever you talk to somebody about New Jersey, the first thing they go to is like, isn't that like a super ugly state with like really rude people? And I was like, okay, so let's see. Is there anyone in this conversation who's being stupid and ugly? Is it the person from New Jersey? Okay, moving on, moving on. Um, no, just kidding. I would never, but yes. Uh, so yeah, um, things in Freeburg are, are great. And, um, it's actually, so I, I describe it as a city. They have like very, I don't know what you would describe them as, but like very well-defined delimitations of what constitutes a village and what constitutes a city, but it doesn't map onto what we mean by like a town in a city. So I'd be like Philadelphia city, right? Newtown, Pennsylvania, where I'm from. I'd say that's like a town. I wouldn't say it's a village or a hamlet. But it's like a town. No, dude. Well, it's called it's called New Newtown. So yeah, it's a great point. Actually, I should have, <laughs> I should have thought about that. Yeah, but but Freeburg's like the same size as Newtown. But you know, people in Freeburg are like, I'm in a city, and people in Newtown are like, wait, what? So this all leads us into a deep and searching meditation on loving our enemies, because sometimes when you have a conversation with people concerning the place where you live, they reveal themselves immediately to be your enemy. Um, so Father Jacob Bertrand, this would be one of the more difficult evangelical mandates. Uh, if Jesus were to say like, I came so that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And what that entails is eating a lot of Sour Patch Kids, taking great vacations and making sure that you get enough sleep. I'd be like, Christianity, wow, sounds kind of cush. But instead he says, uh, I want you all to die and love people who hate you. And then you're like, man, fascinating. Say more, but also say less, but maybe say more. So lead us into the conversation. Why yeah. are we called or who calls us or what call, how, loving our enemies. Help me to make sense of it. Yeah. Well, I'd like first to say a word about Sour Patch, <laughs> about Sour Patch kids who are kind of like an enemy because, but they're, they're kind of not because, <laughs> because they're delicious but for some reason, like Sour Patch Kids and other sour candies, like even the thought of them make me sweat. Like, no way. I can't. Yeah, I can't deal with like, like my brow begins just to pour. <laughs> and this is not like a new phenomenon. As I'm getting older, as I've aged, I've, real, I've realized like I can't eat certain foods in the evening or like, you know, I can still drink. Yeah. I can still have a double espresso at 11 and fall asleep by 11.15. No problem. <laughs> but other foods, not so much. But but sour candy, 
goodness. Like I need, yeah. I can't do it in front of other people because it's like, I'm going to dab my brow. So enemy, but we're going to talk about loving our enemies. now. <laughs> so you just mentioned Sour Patch Kids. So anyways, so let's, I, I think the best way to set up a conversation about loving enemies is to, and uh, I guess it's an easy, because it's a difficult teaching um, and really, I mean, it's strange. I think we have to say it's a strange teaching. It's probably not as strange because we are used to, like as Christians, we're used to it. But, you know, when Christ was preaching this um, some 2000 years ago, it was, it's a strange reality. So, and, 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 it, and it being a strange reality means that it's, I think, easy to be uh, more, I guess, readily attacked. So um, in, in opposing, in opposing, opposing views and standing up to opposing views, I think it's important to grant as much of their, of the, of the opposition's argument as possible. Say, yes, 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 true, true, true. But, and then here's like, here's where it's not going right. So I think let's like by, by setting up the argument that way, it can be helpful. So maybe setting up our side first. So if we look at the gospel of Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, uh, our Lord says, as we're probably familiar, you've heard it, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rains on the rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you salute only your brethren, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Okay, so that's side of the angels. Side, hmm, not of the angels. Um, the uh, the well, we're going to appeal to Christopher Hitchens. Hmm, I like Christopher Hitchens. I think he's fascinating to listen to and to read. Um, he's not always right. Usually, he's not right, but there's usually something insightful. So, Christopher Hitchens and two things. I'm sure in more places, but like for our purposes, two things. So, in 2019, he tweeted about loving your enemies. He said this on on the uh, the wonderful fair and balanced platform of Twitter. He said, love your enemies. There's nothing, there's another immoral injunction. Go love your own enemies. Don't be loving mine. My enemies are theocratic fascists. I don't love them. I want to destroy them. Okay. Mr. Hitchens in 2007 on a C-SPAN interview, you can find this on YouTube if you want. He said this when someone asked about a statement that he had made about not loving your enemies, he said, we have to hate our enemies and try to destroy them before they destroy us. That's a responsibility. To be neutral on such a point, especially if you're a father or if you consider yourself a citizen with duties to his fellow citizens, is wicked. It should be described as such. Christianity disarms those of virtue and leaves them at the mercy of those who are wicked. Huh. Yikes. If he's right, we're in trouble. Um, mm. So... I think uh, by way of like responding to Hitchens or those who uh, disagree with Christ on his on his command to love our enemies, or even those of us who are Christians who find it like strange or difficult, fair, uh, let's situate the command. Let's situate the command that our Lord gives us. So situating it, um, as I like to do, let's return to the end or look at the end. What is the end of life? Why does this command, why is this command given? What do you, what like insights there, Father Gregory, what do you think? Tell me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, as you're, as you're kind of quoting those things from Christopher Hitchens, I think about the critique of one Friedrich Nietzsche, who talked about the Jewish and Christian mentality as that of a slave mentality. So he extols the virtues of the powerful and says that, you know, Judaism and Christianity comes in. And because the Jews and Christians can't become powerful or genuinely seize the reins of power, 
They make it a quote-unquote sin to be powerful. And instead, they make this whole morality built up around being weak, around being victimized. And in doing so, they kind of upset the ordinary system of values or hierarchy of values so that they can hamstring those who ought genuinely to reign. So I think that there's a kind of logic that obtains with Hitchens insofar as he says, you know, the strong should be strong and you should use your strength against those who would otherwise call it into question or assail it or imperil you, your families, the things you hold dear. And so when, yeah, when this evangelical command kind of washes up on the shore of our otherwise uninteresting lives, it's, it's shocking because it seems to extol that which is unextollable at its face value. But, you know, so like kind of getting into situating the command, there are things that Christ reveals which make this to be intelligible. So then, you know, what is, what is the end of life? You know, you have it here in this text, which comes at the end of the fifth chapter of Matthew's gospel. And he says, you know, be therefore perfect as your heavenly father is perfect, which is to say, um, you know, like we're called to live fully. We're called to fill up what is lacking in our human nature and not just insofar as it's human, but insofar as it's called to be like that of God, insofar as we're called to be like God. Or, I mean, the language of the Psalms is like, you are gods and sons of the most high. The language of, you know, one of Peter's letters is that we're to be partakers of the divine nature. So if it's a matter of becoming like God, then it's a question of who is the God whom we seek and worship, and how does the relationship which we cultivate with him change our own nature, change the way in which we interact with those in our lives who might be for us, who might be against us, but ultimately all of whom are called to share in that same divine life. Um, so yeah, it's just like, I think about this and it's kind of terrifying, but it just keeps it just keeps confronting you so that way you cannot satisfy yourself with a half measure that says, you know, I'll like most people, but there are certain people whom I exclude from my the the circle of my love. But yeah, so if the goal is to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect, then that is a that is a high task or that is a high calling indeed. But maybe in light of that we can talk then about who are our enemies or how do we characterize them as enemies and then go from there. So what do you think? Yeah. Yeah, the I think with with what you're saying in 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 like uh looping in the the reality of like being perfect being imitators of god being conformed to god and the high reality is it, it's true it's it's but it's also comes with the ability through god like part of our conformity to god is not just to do the things that god would do on an exterior or external level just like mirroring or mimicking god um in the way by which he lives and loves but to be conformed to him internally. Uh, his grace is internally transformative. We're perfected by his grace because his grace makes us like him, not just act like him. Um, so though kind of daunting and big and like, what is going on here? Why are we loving our enemies? Um, it, it's paired with the reality that, that our Lord, his very presence, his grace um, draws us into living that reality um, fully. God willing, as we're conformed to him. So yeah, like, let's, let's tease this apart a bit. Let's talk about like, who are our enemies? And then like, what does const what constitutes our uh, love in this sort of circumstance? So in talking about enemies, um, perhaps it's easy to talk about them um, as like, near and far, or as personal, intimate, and general, or like other so we can, of course, talk about like perhaps the general enemies. So enemies of the faith, people who are, you know, not goodwilled, um, those kind of things, even in more particular ways, you know, people who are um, seek to like destroy the church or, you know, whatever that might be, people that are 
that are there, but kind of further field. They're they're not as as um, as closely like associated with our everyday living, and and those kind of enemies, in some ways, um, it's I don't know if it's easier to love them, but it's easier to dismiss them um, as like just not having an immediate an immediacy on my life. And and I think it's that dismissal that like oh they're on the other side of the world or oh they don't you know they're in another part of the country or like it's that dismissal even that I think highlights the reality of the need to love um, better, more fully, more truly that our Lord's calling us to. I don't know, personal enemies, I always find that to be like, well, I don't know if I have personal enemies in the sense of people like wanting to kill me. Maybe I do. I don't think, <laughs> I don't know. I don't think people care about me. So I whether I live or die or whatever. But I think a personal enemy is just people like even that I don't get along with who annoy me, um, who are difficult to live with. Um, there is a real difficulty in, in trying to love them and try to love them well. But I think you can see by highlighting the difference here that there are different ways by which we, we respond, either by dismissing or ignoring, or we're good at sort of making people who are enemies in a personal sense worse enemies than they are so as to like put ourselves up on a pedestal and say that like they're the, they're the problem, there's nothing wrong with me type thing. Um, so I think at heart, this command to love our enemies is a way by which to um, direct, expand, but also reorient um, our understanding of what it means to love um, and what it means, like what, what humanity means in other human beings, what it means to be a person of God and a child of God, even if there are disagreements that are superficial or super deep. Um, I don't think usually people contrast superficial with super deep, but I just did. So <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if you have more thoughts on that, but there you have it yeah, for me yeah. at least. No, I, th I think that Maybe it's just, I mean, helpful at this stage simply to say there are some people who are against you. And mm -hmm. that's good to admit at the outset because it kind of clarifies the situation. And at, at kind of the most basic level, we know that Satan and his demons are against us. And so there's a very fundamental struggle that transpires in human life. It's not with flesh and blood, you know, but it's with powers and principalities. And I think that oftentimes our conflicts uh, can be clarified through that lens. You know, oftentimes we think about situations in terms of us versus them and the polarization of present political discourse certainly facilitates thinking of that sort. But but it's not so much in many cases us versus them. It's us and them, you know, versus Satan who is trying to sow seeds of discord, who is trying to drag us all into the infernal pits of hell because by his overweening pride and envy he wants to throw it in the face of God and just rejoice over the desiccated husks of our ruined lives. So you you do have enemies, you know, like it, it's so living charitably doesn't mean convincing yourself that everyone is likable and then feeling tortured as a result that you have some negative reactions to other people who confront you in the context of an ordinary day's work. Some, some people hate you and some people are working towards that end. But I don't think that we make that as an initial judgment. We have to kind of have that proven to us, as it were. Um, so, yeah, we, I mean, general enemies, I mean, people who seek to undermine the integrity of the faith or prevent its free exercise, kind of personal enemies, people who live under your roof and for whatever reason are seeking to kind of go behind your back so as to, um, you know, ruin your relationships or sully your reputation. You know, like, these are real things. And the, I mean, the whole discourse of loving your enemies starts with the open-eyed recognition that this is at stake, this is at work, this is present, okay? So then how do we go from there? I think maybe, maybe at this point, it's a good opportunity to take a little break. And then when we come back, we can talk about love, what it is, what it's not, and then how it provides us a way through in light of these 
troubling things. So stick with us. You are listening to Godsplaining. Visit us at godsplaining.org to listen to our episodes, shop our store, and donate to our podcast. All gifts go to improving the podcast and bringing the gospel to more listeners. Thanks for your support. All right, folks, welcome back. Thanks for sticking with this episode of God's Planning. We're talking about loving our enemies. And to this point, we've just set up uh, how very strange and appalling is the Christian call to do so. And then the recognition that we have genuine enemies and it's not hateful, it's not intolerant, it's not bigoted to say as much. Uh, we shouldn't play into the polarization of discourse and look on everyone who disagrees with us as an enemy, but we do have to recognize that there are enemies in our midst. So given that, and given the fact that the Lord calls us to be perfect as he is perfect and to love our enemies, let's then bring it back to a discussion of love. So Father Jacob Bertrand, you want to introduce the theme of love and start unpacking some of its riches for us? Yeah, I think it's when we, when we talk about love, I guess, when we talk about charity, um, the virtue of charity, uh, the simple definition that we always give is is like willing another's good, willing the good of another, um, and it's it it bears repeating uh, that reality of what love is because though there is an affective and like kind of emotional uh, reality components that go along with love, that's that's not at root. At root, love is not sort of an affective, happy feeling. Um, it is willing the good of another. So with respect to enemies, with respect to those who are against us, um, it's not so much having, it, it, it is, we're not talking about, and the Lord is not talking about kind of summoning up a fake kind of um, like good feeling towards those who are against us, against you, but willing their conver conversion, desiring their conversion, desiring those, uh, that reality that they, that they, might see the wrongdoing of their ways and 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 leave them behind and pursue goodness and truth. So, in in the Summa, Saint Thomas talks about um, a sort of threefold distinction of of how or how yeah how we are we are to love our enemies or at least approach the question of understanding like what does this love what does this willing the good of another um, uh, what is it required what is required of the Christian here so. One thing of this threefold distinction, the first thing that he says and makes it very clear is that we're not called to love our enemies as such. We're not called to love our enemies um, in their in their wickedness because they're evil. That's that would be contrary to charity in itself. Um, so we don't love them because of their evilness or because they are evil. That would be that would be strange. That would be yeah contrary to willing their good because their wickedness is is not willing is not moving towards their conversion. Um, the second thing that he says is that in general, in as much as we're called to love our God and neighbor, that great command to love God and neighbor, our, basically our enemies cannot be excluded from the category of neighbor. So if we're called to love God and neighbor, then we're called to love our enemies um, as neighbor. Uh, now, how that's done is is a different question, but just worth pointing out that that, that separation of enemies from neighbor from other is is not a possibility. It's not on the table. Um, with regard to loving, loving enemies, it's a question then of Thomas says, uh, being prepared to love our enemies if it becomes necessary as it pertains to charity to love all. So when it becomes necessary, are we prepared to love individually, particular people who are against us, whether that's by praying for them, by 
bearing their their faults by um, uh, willing their good. So it's just important to lay that out so we see like what is actually at stake here. What are we really talking about? Um, yeah, I don't know if you want to jump in on any of that, Father Gregory, but at least that's yeah we brought that to the to the fore. Yeah, yeah. No, just as you as you go through that threefold distinction, just um, kind of like follow up thoughts at each stage. Um, the first is, you know, we're not called to love our enemies as such. Like we, we shouldn't rejoice in the wickedness of others in some weird way. And at face value, that sounds like no one would do that. But then something that you, you know, talk about often is the culture of tolerance versus genuine mercy. So when we say like, you know, that person's that way, but you know, God bless and just leave it at that. That's not love, right? That's, that's just what that's, that's a kind of form of apathy or a kind of form of I don't know, despair regarding that person's spiritual state. So what is the good that we're called to will to the other? It's the good of God and our communion in God. And we believe that everyone is capable of receiving God because we're all made to the image of God. So we shouldn't settle for tolerance or shouldn't settle for a kind of passive acceptance of other people in their brokenness, in their woundedness, in their state of enemy. We should be motivated to love them in such a way we, such that we can like actually help them to become yet more perfectly in communion with the God who has made them for himself. And then with respect to the second, you know, we can't exclude an enemy from the category of neighbor. Well, it's because it's revealed to us that that enemy is just as much an adopted son or daughter of God by virtue of baptism or potentially so by virtue of their human nature. And so that for us is, is a principle of kind of recognition that I see myself in the other. You hear people say sometimes, you know, but for the grace of God go I. And I think sometimes we say it just kind of patronizingly or in an offhanded way, but it's true, right? God is offering grace to each and to all at all moments, not necessarily the grace of conversion, but at least the graces that might lead to that. Um, were, they, were they fruitful in that person's life? Um, and then when it comes to, you know, we should be prepared to love our enemies if it becomes necessary to do so. The way that St. Thomas describes that is he said, we should be prepared in spirit. And he uses that same line when he talks about profession of faith, for instance. So I'll ask, you know, do you always have to profess the faith? He says, it's a positive command, so you can't always be professing the faith because you have to like sleep and eat Sour Patch Kids. But he said, there are certain situations in which we're called upon to do so, and we should be forthcoming. And so too, when it comes to, to love of our enemies, it's like a kind of profession of our faith. It's a profession of the fact that I am loved by God, and that love of God, which has filled my heart, ought overflow. And if I were to keep it for myself, woe to me. You know, it's like a fire in my bones, says the prophet Jeremiah. So just kind of keeping the reality of divine charity at the heart helps to illumine the fact that, you know, what is the end? It's to know, love, and serve God and to enjoy him in the next life and that everyone is made for that end and that our love is a matter of kind of accompaniment or helping others to recognize that end, to embrace that end. So yeah, there's, there's no one uh, whom we can exclude from that universal call to beatitude. Now at that point, or at this point, Things sound like a little bit kind of sanguine, lovey-dovey, and you begin to wonder, well, okay, but does that mean that I just get run over by my enemies? Does that mean that I just become a doormat or get victimized? Where does, where does justice feature in? Is there a way in which I'm still called to kind of hold up my end of the just bargain? Or does love mean, well, I guess there go my rights? Yeah. Yes. It does mean all of that. No, I'm kidding, of course. Uh, <laughs> Um, yeah. So like the question of like, should people who are, uh, enemies who, I guess if we're pursuing 
the Lord and goodness and truth, those who are against goodness and truth in the Lord, um, whether on a natural or kind of with respect to supernatural things, uh, is there, is there room for punishment? Like, or like as Father Gregory was saying, is it just, well, too bad. Like, you know, I have to suffer that well and smile as they just like spit on you. No, um, no, that like this, the reality, this call to love our enemies does not negate the reality of justice, of justice being executed and, and meted out. And, and, um, I, of course we can talk about this on a supernatural level with respect to, um, salvation, um, that, that the enemies of God, um, you know, it's not just heaven. There's an option of heaven or hell after death and that people are, um, judged based on their charity, on their love, on their, on their, on their, um, on their goodness, on their pursuit of Christ and on their conformity to Christ. So there is judgment to come in the afterlife, but there's also judgment to come, um, to come, to come in, in this life. You know, in no way does the Lord, um, ever speak about, you know, those who are, um, who are evildoers or wrongdoers, not being punished in some way, whether that's by, um, you know, by, by the state, by, by whatever it might be, um, by some sort of just form of punishment, uh, that, that doesn't go against the command to love your enemies um, because because justice um, is not contrary to charity uh, because the justice and charity actually feed off of one another um, in many ways so uh, yeah it's not it's not a sort of just you know take it from everybody and there's there's no hope otherwise it's it's a fuller picture than that and I think um, in reading, Matthew 5, the end of Matthew 5, in the context of the entirety of the gospel, um, that becomes very clear. Yeah. Boom. All right. In these last few minutes of the episode, uh, let's do maybe some kind of practical application. Um, if it if it remains something far off or remote, if it remains something that we haven't internalized, then we risk never really loving our enemies actually. It's just something that we're kind of potentially poised to do. Uh, so what would be some takeaway points or what would be some practical points that we could implement when it comes to loving our enemies in the here and now? One of the things, I, we touched on this a little bit already, but I guess I would say like reconciling the natural dislike of our enemies for the, the call, the command, the supernatural command to love them. Um, yeah, we, we, I think I mentioned this earlier that the, that the Lord is not asking us to feel good about people who do bad things um, or to have the same kind of love that like um, we might have for our friends or our family, for those who, who are our enemies, who hate us, who don't like us, who do bad things to us. Um, that, that's not what is being asked of us. Um, so we may, that may, that might be something we have to remind ourselves of regularly. Um, but recognizing that this love is, is willing, their good, willing, their conversion, willing, their um, willing, their, coming to the truth. Uh, and I think here, in a sense, the, the detachment or the reconciling of our natural dislike of our enemies can be paired with this sense of, you know, detachment from enemies and from persecutors. And I think here, maybe like Christopher Hitchens might not like this that much, but I don't, I don't really particularly care what he likes, but that there's, um, we part, like a trick of the devil is to, is to create stumbling blocks that distract us from the Lord. And if our life is consumed with a sort of, um, you know, with a preoccupation with those who are against us, either in actuality or seemingly, then our attention is given to that and not to the Lord. 
So that's not to say like we shouldn't work to make our lives better or work for the conversion of people or, you know, love our enemies well, but it's just sort of like, well, what is actually in the crosshairs? Is it, is it Christ? Is it pursuing holiness? Or is it this kind of, um, kind of like mentality of like, of defeating our enemies, avoiding our enemies, complaining about our enemies, those sort of things. So those are a couple, I don't there, there are probably a couple more that you can think of Father Gregory. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe just to pick up on the last point. Um, I think that, you know, you, you often hear it said, or you'll, you'll read it. I think it's from St. Jerome that the truth by whomever spoken is from the Holy Spirit. And, you know, if our enemies are against us, there's, there's a reason for their being against us. And it might be the case that we could learn helpful things from engaging with the arguments or the criticisms of our enemies. But we just have to be honest with ourselves that it's really hard to do so. I mean, it's really hard to take, to take criticism from your friends because, uh, you know, the best setting in which to take criticism is in a setting of love. Um, so I think that, you know, it's, it's fine to not insulate yourself from the criticisms or from the arguments of your enemies because you don't want to end up living in la-la land. But it's, it's also just to kind of be patient and gentle with yourself. So it's good to have friends who, when you are criticized, you can go to them and be like, dude, this person said this thing about me. And you just want a friend to say like, yeah, crazy. That person stinks. <laughs> And that's, that's, that's fine. That's okay. Um, there are a lot of fora, like the internet, you know, I'm sure if you've ever contributed to a chat or online forum or Reddit stream or engaged in YouTube comments, you've probably found that there are people in the world who, <laughs> if you took them at their word, would be like very vociferous enemies of yours. But, you know, if you, if you enter that worship circle, you're just, you're just going to get hurt. Um, and you don't want to find yourself constantly in situations where you're getting hurt and then becoming calloused as a result or just finding yourself thrown for a loop. So it's important in these interactions to try to seek to maintain your peace. Um, yeah, it might be true that you're limited. It might be, true, it might be true that you're sinful. It might be true that you're annoying. Like you go and you try to have a conversation with somebody and you recognize immediately in your eyes that not only do they think that, they're, that you are boring, they think that you stink, you know, and that's rough, that's hard, that's super difficult to interiorize. But it's like, all right, there are more fundamental realities at stake. I'm a child of God, you know, the grace of God is operative in my life. I'm capable of consenting to and cooperating with it, and it's capable of transforming me as a result. So while I may be limited, you know, God be praised, we can go on from here. So I think that, like what you said, a kind of detachment from our enemies and persecutors is healthy, not in such a way as to insulate ourselves entirely, but in such a way as just to um, seek the comfort, the consolation uh, of our friends, of those who know us best and are able to kind of give the truth to us in a way that's most palatable or in a way that's most <laughs> actionable, perhaps. Um, yes, yeah, so that's just one thought, just kind of following on yours. I don't know if, I mean, I suppose the most basic thing that you can do for your enemies is to, to pray for them. I don't know if you're typically in the habit of praying for your enemies. Well, I pray for a lot of people. Most of them are my enemies. So um, that's just like, <laughs> I think I make a lot of enemies, but maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. Um, yeah. Like at, at the end of, at the end of it all, that's, that's what we're, you know, what we're called to do is to pray for the, pray for souls to, to come to know Christ and to come to experience his grace and respond to that grace, uh, whether we like them or not, whether they are for us or against us. Um, and in that, you know, we really participate in in the salvation of souls in our in a in a really privileged moment or privileged kind of reality of our of our Christian identity. So at root, um, if if nothing else, uh, praying for those who uh, persecute us, whether near or far, um, is is 
is just a really beautiful act of, of Christian charity. And despite what, um, what adversaries like uh, Christopher Hitchens might think actually requires a great deal of, of virtue and of fortitude and of um, justice and charity as well. Um, so there you have it. Boom. All right. With that, folks, we will leave you for this episode. Uh, so thanks uh, for all of your efforts in supporting and promoting the podcast. Please like, share, and comment on this episode. Please subscribe to the channel on your podcast app or on YouTube if you haven't yet done so. Um, thanks uh, in a special way to those who support us on Patreon, who make the work of the podcast possible and enable it to grow so as to yeah, bring the truth of the gospel, the, the preaching of Jesus Christ to more listeners. Uh, please God to greater conversion. Um, other things around the horizon is we're cooking up some retreats for next summer. So yeah, pray that those those come together and we'll have those offerings for you in short order. Um, but until then, uh, please pray for us and we'll continue to pray for you and we'll catch you next time on God's Planning. Thanks for listening to God's Planning, a work of the Dominican Friars of the province of St. Joseph. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Leave a review on your podcast app and visit us at godsplaining.org.